Good morning, Solid Word. It is so wonderful to see you all out here in the parking lot and just to be in the presence of our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. We ask you that you join in with us today and help us lift up the name of Jesus. We're gonna start with a little prayer first. Okay, we'll start with a little prayer first. <laughs> we all bow our heads. Gracious Lord, we thank and praise you today for giving us another day, a beautiful day at that, Lord, um, to be able to come here to the house of the Lord. What an awesome feeling it is to be able to come and fellowship with our brothers and sisters, Lord, here on this beautiful day. Lord, we ask that you bless those who are on their way. Pray that they make it safely and just bless the hearts and minds of us all here today and all across the world as we take this time to um, focus on you, Lord, and your goodness. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
thank you for that leading us in the time of great praise. I'm trusting that you were blessed by that. At least I know those in the front row were. Praise God. Thank you, um, both Sister Natalie and Sister Tiffany for leading us in that time. And I really hope that your mind has been set to, quote unquote, praise the Lord. Um, because he has made that way. He has done that which is good. He has set it up right for you, for us. And that because of that, we're in a good position to handle what's in front of us. This morning, we're going to continue with our walk through 1 Peter. And remember, our series focus is living well as exiles, living well as exiles. And we said, we set the premise that Peter makes it clear that the believer here on earth, your time that you spent here, however many years that you are given as a believer, God says, although you live here and you make a home here and you may have a career and, and, and actually have a living, um, have a family, raise kids and have grandkids and you may journey on however or 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 maybe you you don't and you just journey through life however you choose God says understand this ultimately is not home this is ultimately um, this is your place of residence but this is not your place of citizenship and we understand that a lot as we look at around us in our world if you've ever lived anywhere else other than your, your, your country of citizenship, you will understand that you can have residency, although you don't have citizenship. And so what he is allowing us to understand is that you are residents here on this earth. You, you, you put down some roots, you get to know some people, you have family and friends, but he takes it and he shifts our focus um, to where home is, not so that we won't be any good here, actually so that we will be the most good here. When you realize your purpose for being here, you don't get wrapped up in unnecessary things while you're here. And so Peter, in trying to settle these believers who were at the beginning stages of persecution, we said that last week, this wasn't the kind to where their life was now at risk or being taken in large number. This wasn't yet what was called state-sponsored persecution that would become the case. But at this time when he wrote it, that was not the case. But they were experiencing marginalization. They were being pushed to the side. They were being ridiculed. They were being shunned and shamed because of their faith. Because they claimed Christ people were willing to throw them under the bus. Family members were willing to cast them off to the side and to call them quacks and kooks and nuts. And they were willing to treat them that way. And so Peter, understanding what was needed, writes a letter to settle them. And so last week we saw how he told them how they were going to be able to live, and that was embracing their status as exiles. But although they were exiles, Peter called them elect exiles. And so he said, you are exiles by choice, first by choice from God, 
and then by your choice, by embracing who God has you to be. And so as he sets that tone and tells them to embrace well your status, now he's getting into chapter two and how you are to live well in a world that marginalizes believers. How do you live in a society, in a world that marginalizes you? Yes, there are some spots in which it is now definitely life-threatening for you to be a believer. And there are some people that are experiencing something um, um, difficult, brash, life-threatening, hard. And there are other scriptures that God gives for them as well. But here in First Peter, he is talking to people who are at the early stages. And so he wants to say, how is it that you live in a world that marginalizes you? How do you live in a world in which the values which you uphold as a believer are ridiculed and are cast aside, are not taken seriously or are seen as a weakness? How is it? And so he wants us to understand that it is possible to live well in a world that marginalizes believers. And so this morning we're going to see that from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 12. And I know 13 through 25 focuses on another issue that I think that we will need to deal with. I'll probably tackle that in the midweek uh, uh, Facebook teaching, and that is submission to authorities, because that is something that I believe needs to be addressed. We don't have time for that this morning, but we are going to look at this whole notion of when I am marginalized, how do I live? Because in our world today, boy, in our world today, the way we respond to the way we are treated will share as a huge witness, will share as a grand witness to the greatness of God, to the greatness of the gospel, and to the greatness of how we live for Christ. But you've got to understand, how do I respond when I'm marginalized? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you give us what we need through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and that our hearts would be swayed to obey and listen to your word. Lord, that we would be people <clears throat> that would honor and value what you set out and lay out, Lord, and that it would be seen in the way that we live out our lives. I pray this morning that this would not just be words or another sermon, words from a book, but Lord, that it would be life-giving. It would be life-transforming. It would be life-sustaining. And we pray, God, that indeed that you would help us after we hear this to see and to know what we must do and then to do it as you enable us. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. And so if you turn with me to chapter 2. You know, one of the things that we... Uh, when we lived overseas, as many of you know, we were there for nearly nine years. One of the things that, that, that would come up a lot whenever 
we were out and about and we would do things in the manner that we were used to them until we learned some of the traditions and the ways of the culture that we had moved into is that we would hear and we would get this response, oh, you Americans. We would hear that a lot. Oh, you Americans, and it would be followed with something that usually wasn't encouraging. And it usually wasn't pleasant. And what they were trying to say is your values, your ways, how you do things are so different from how we do things that we think y'all are crazy. Yeah. We think y'all are. And it was interesting that as they tried to um, cater to sometimes those American interests, they would do things that we would kind of laugh at. One of the things that we had is when you went to the stores at times, they knew that, uh, that, that we typically liked everything larger and bigger and more. And so they would have their, their normal loaf of bread were these small pieces of toast. And but then they would have in the store, it was hilarious when we walked in, it would say American bread. Now they like, what's the difference? And it would have XXL, extra, extra large slices. And so you would get a standard size of our loaf of bread, and and, and that was considered American bread. And we thought, okay, you didn't you didn't have to label it American, but okay, I get it. And it was like that in so many other things that they would tack on. And American to it because they were they thought they knew and understood our culture. But we also understood that it was different and that our value system in some things were different from theirs. And so we had to learn to live in their culture with our values. And so this morning, for many of us that are sitting here, we are having to do that. It is becoming um, decreasingly popular to be Christian. I know at the and when you're winning an award or when you're getting something of notoriety, it, it, was, it, was, it was popular. It was good to say, you know, bless God, thank God. And it may still be to some degree, but that is decreasing in popularity. To claim faith in Christ or to, or to claim a life of faith or to claim values of faith is shrinking. And so how do you handle when you are pushed to the side? Some people don't like it. We start complaining. We, we see posts like, I don't understand that these values that we used to uphold, no one wants to uphold them anymore. You know, these people just don't understand. And I would say to that, you're right, they don't, especially if they don't embrace Christ, if they don't follow him, if they don't love him. They can't understand. They are of a different world and culture. And so what they hold on to, what they value, what they embrace is not what you embrace. Their purpose for living is different than yours. Now, this doesn't make you some sort of elite person and that you hold your nose up and you turn your nose up to them. It just lets you know that if you've aligned yourself with God and they have not, that there's going to be a difference. And so he tells us in the very first part of that chapter some things that are going to need to happen. But I have to back up a little for that first point. We're going to have four this morning. The first point is in order to live in a world that marginalizes believers, number one, you'll have to reinforce the fellowship. You will have to reinforce the fellowship. Fellowship of believers. When the world 
Margin throws you to the side or rejects you. When the world does that, when the when when there is social alienization, when society when society alienates you and puts you to the side, the remedy of it is not to complain that you've lost it. The remedy of it is not to moan about the good old days. The remedy of it, Peter is saying here, is to strengthen the genuine community of believers because that's where your strength, part of that strength will come from, is in the community of people that walk like you, that value like you because you are under the same father and that is God the father. What he tells them is, we, you are being thrown to the side, so what I want you to do is to dig into the community of believers for your encouragement and your strength. And it's interesting, why would he have to say that? He had to say that because what ends up happening is when we begin to feel like we're being marginalized and thrown to the side, sometimes we want to throw off the believing community and we want to embrace those that were rejecting us so that we are welcomed and that we are approved by the greater society. Peter says, no, that's not the way to do it. I'm not saying that you have to purposely try and anger people. No, he says where your encouragement will come from is not from the people that are rejecting you. Where your encouragement will actually come from will be for the community of believers that are living like you. And so he says to them, in essence, strengthen the community. But let's back up first into chapter 1 at verse 22, where he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That command is what Peter now is partially referring to when he starts off chapter 2. In other words, where he was, how he was telling them to grow, he says, listen, you guys, I want you to learn to grow. And he says, I want you to purify your souls, which is, means your thoughts and your desires and your will and your purpose. Purify it. You know, in other words, it needs to be coming from a pure place. And the only pure place is found in Christ and his word. And so he says, allow the word to clean you up. How is that going to happen? It's going to be magical as I read it. No, he makes it really clear by obedience to the truth. As you read the truth and then you are one that wants to live out that truth that you are learning. He says that your soul, your so, so your mind and your decision and your purpose and your will will become purified. And as that is purified, he says the ultimate goal of that is one, you living holy, but two. The other goal to that, he says, purify your souls and your hearts for a sincere brotherly love. Do you get that? He says, what you are actually doing is strengthening your position to create a strong and loving community of believers. God is huge into community. God is Big into people living in solid relationships under him. 
And for those who like to say my Christianity is an island, you don't understand the Christianity that Christ has brought about. It is communal in nature. It is meant to be lived out around others and with others. And so he says to them, listen, having purified your, your, your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Well, that command is possible because he just told you, purify your souls by obedience to the word. And as you do that, when you love, it will be a love for and from a heart that's been purified. Now, does that mean that you do it once and it's over, purified once and for all? No, that is a continual process. As you continue to purify your heart and your life, you will continue to love from a purified position. And so he says to you and I, listen, that is the ultimate goal. That is what he desires for people that are living in a world as exiles. He says, the believing community are your folk. It was interesting because while we were living overseas, we, you, you knew most of the people that were around you that were Americans. Whenever you were in the grocery store and we had this happen once that, you know, we were speaking and someone looks over at us and goes, hey, you're speaking English. And translated, they were like, you're speaking American English because you heard British English all over the place. But whenever we would talk, we had people that would come up to us and say, hey, how long have you guys been here? And, you know, up here, you did it to someone, they would go, do I know you? But the issue here is since you are, uh, uh, for the most part, many people are in, uh, American English speaking citizens, what ends up happening is no one notices that. But once you are out of that surrounding and you are now not in the, uh, you are not in the greater proportion of people, what ends up happening is when you hear it, you turn and you notice it. And so it's like when you see other believers and when you know other people that are walking like you, you tend to want to stay together and to, and to fellowship. It doesn't mean that you don't fellowship with the world, that you're not out there, that we have some sort of holy huddle. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is that you have this affinity for one another because you belong to the same family or, 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 or you belong to the same country or in this case, the same kingdom. And so then with that in mind, he tells them to reinforce the fellowship in the believing community. Verse one, it says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. And actually that should say hypocrisies and envies and all slander. What he is telling them is these first things when he says, so, uh, uh, so what, which is what you should ask, since you are purifying your souls so that you can love your brothers and sisters in the faith from a pure heart, let me tell you what's going to destroy that unity and that community, and I want you to put it away. In other words, it has the possibility of being a part of your everyday life and action. So I want you to be aware of it. Why would he say it if it was not possible for me to live that way? So he digs in and says, listen, so 
since you are this group that is now living in a land that is not your own, but there are people there like you, he says, put away all intentional acts of evil. That's malice. See, because marginalization and being alienated has a way of causing you to turn on the people you should be closest with. It has a way of causing you to turn your back on and to start backbiting and fighting and to start realizing, hey, you, you know, we are being under attack. And so instead of coming together, we start ripping apart. And he says to them here, put away all malice and all deceit. Now understand, he's talking to believers. And so it is possible for me to have and to act out of malice, to have and to be deceitful, to be hypocritical, and to envy my brother and sister. All those things rip apart and tear the community in which God says you need to build when you are being alienated. So I have to ask that question of us. Are we putting away those intentional evil deeds that we are doing against one another? Are we putting away the hypocrisy in which I say I love you and I act in your presence like I do, but when you turn your back, boy, I have got the 20-inch blade ready to bury it in you. He says to them, are you being envious? of what I am doing in your brother and sister in Christ, or are you encouraging them? You know, one of the things that we realized is whenever we as Americans got together when we were overseas, that we didn't have time to talk about and to throw under the bus each other because we realized that the fellowship was different and that you can, that, that, that they could understand you and that they could talk and that we could really get into you know, what was happening and how we handled it. And so you are usually encouraging of one another. Oh, but there were those opportunities to throw one another under the bus and it didn't help at all. And so he says to reinforce the fellowship by getting rid of those things, by getting rid of those things which would cause the community to be destroyed. But then he says also, not only do you reinforce the fellowship, the second one is that you realize that you, you are the place of worship. I want to talk about the first. He says that you are the place of worship. I love this because even as we meet outside here this morning, I was reminded through this text that the church was never a building that the body of believers was never a building. It was always the people, and we'll see here, that God was turning into an organic temple and place of worship. In other words, you are, God is building you into a place and the temple of worship where you serve as priests, bringing the worship, understanding that Old Testament imagery that he's giving there where you are the ones that are offering the sacrifices. You are the ones like other priests that are, that are leading worship to God because you are the temple. And so whether we meet inside, outside, 
in a parking lot in a mall on the grass by the seaside, it doesn't make a difference. God is saying, you are the temple. And so he does it first by helping you to realize what's going to cause you and this community that you are reinforcing to grow. He says, like newborn infants, and he's taking you back to chapter 1, verse 3, where he says that you were born not of imperishable seed, I mean, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. What he's saying is that when you were born in Christ, it was a seed that would never die. You were born into eternal life. And he's taking them back to that imagery here in verse 2 when he says, like newborn infants, although they have grown now, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I like what he is saying here is that for you to begin to realize that you are the place of worship, you have to realize how you are going to grow. That term, pure spiritual milk, is relating to the word of God. What he is given the imagery, though, of is that of a newborn baby. He's not calling them newborn infants or these babes in Christ. That's not what he's referring to. What he is saying is when he says light, he's giving you an image. He is, he is showing you something that he wants you to be like. And he says just like when you have a young child and it is feeding, it is nursing, it is milk time. You just take a look at that baby. Take a look at an infant and see how he or she craves what they are desiring. And he says, that's how you are to be when it comes to that which will nourish you spiritually. Is that craving, desire. You ever watch a child doing nursing time or doing when it's being fed a bottle and reaching and grabbing and, and no patience at all. And I want it. I've got to have it. Where is it? I don't want any excuses. Just give it to me. God says, that's how I want you when it comes to you nourishing on my word. And boy, that is so convicting because many times what I want to do is I want to find a little bit of time here and a little bit of time there. I want to pull out my daily bread. No shade on daily bread at all. But if that's all of your daily bread, you are only eating crumbs. And so it says daily bread here and a little devotional there and a little prayer over here. And I never have any feasting time. And if you ate like that physically, we would be visiting you in the hospital because you would be malnourished. You would not be able to be sustained. You would be in trouble. And so he says, just like an infant craves for its sustaining, for its sustenance, for its life, pure milk. He says, you need the pure spiritual. Now remember, he said pure as opposed to the evil that he was telling you to put off. And earlier as to that which has no guile, he says, you are to crave that word which won't betray you, which won't deceive you. Itself, it itself is pure. You can trust it. You can eat it, and it has no side effects. It's not going to do some harm to you. We know today there are certain foods that they are really good, but they are really bad for you. Some of the stuff that tastes the best are the worst for you. 
some of the stuff that looks the best are the worst for you. And what he is saying here is that milk that I give is both good and it's nourishing and it's not going to harm you ever. You can depend on it. And so he says that spiritual milk is that which you would grow up into a complete salvation. This is not saying that by reading the word, you're going to come to Christ in salvation. He's saying as one that has been initially saved, your salvation is in process. Yes, you are saved from sin and from an eternal lostness, but he is saying that your salvation is growing daily until one day it is totally complete as you stand in the presence of God. And so in the meantime, he says, grow up into what I have given you. For some of us, we have come to Christ and we think that was the end. We need to treat it like they call graduation services. Graduation ceremonies are called commencements for a reason. Although it is the end of something, your high school or your college education, the thought with the word was it is the beginning of something else. Thus they called it commencement. You are entering into, you are moving into something else now that you've done it. So now that you've come to Christ, that was just the beginning. He is telling you now you get to enter into this new life that you have to grow up into. And so he says, don't treat it as a destination. Some of us treat our coming to Christ as we do great bucket list vacations. It's a destination. I'm here. I've done it. Check it off. I can look back at the pictures that I did it. I can talk about that time and, and have these great memories, but that's all that it is. And God is telling you and I, get away from that. Grow up into your salvation and learn to get into this community and become those people that are growing together. But then he tells you why. He says, first, if indeed you have tasted, if you have tasted of that spiritual milk and that the Lord is good, what he is saying is you are not going to be able to help. But it takes you back to Psalm where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so he is saying that find out that he's good. And once you found out that he's good, you want more. Remember the first time you've ever seen that child, maybe one of your children, um, um, get off of get off of that cereal that if you and I were to taste it, we go, how on earth did they ever eat this stuff? But the moment you give them table food or the moment you give them something sweet, have you ever seen a child put their face in it? Whatever it is, the first time they tasted something sweet and you gave them ice cream and all of a sudden it, it actually hit the taste buds in the palate. Then all of a sudden eyes open up, hands are reaching out and they're like, yo, give me some more of that. Peter is telling you, if you've indeed tasted that the Lord is good, oh, you're going to want more. See, part of the problem may be that some of us may not actually have tasted of the Lord. We've tasted of a good service. We've tasted of great music. We've tasted of a good religious experience, but we've not tasted from the Lord. Because if indeed you've tasted of, of the Lord, nothing else will do. Nothing else. You can't go back to the old ways. 
There's no way that you can give a child that old tasteless cereal once you've given them tasteful food. And what God is telling you and I is there's no way you go back to that tasteless way of life once you've tasted of the goodness of God. So that begs that question, if I go back to it, have I really tasted of the goodness of God? And so he says to realize you are the place of worship. You are the place. And he says, as you continue to come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, this is that place of worship that you are and that you are being collectively built into. What he says here, and I love this because I love this stone um, 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 imagery that Peter is giving here because you know that's what his name means. You notice what, 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 what Jesus called him when he saw him. He said, you are Peter. And he said he was calling them this stone. He is the rock. And we see here later that as he is building this spiritual temple, that Jesus himself is the corner or the unifying stone. He is the rock. He is that bedrock. He is the identifying stone of the building and that everything else is built on and around him. And so what Peter, the one by Jesus who was called stone, is saying to all of us, God wants some more stones so that he can build his place of worship where he is honored because we all are worshiping him, where sacrifices are brought, not of a lamb or a goat, but you yourself, as the scripture says, Hebrew says that, I mean, as, as the scripture says, you are living sacrifices, that, 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 that indeed you are the one that are giving of yourself to him. And he says here that because you are stones being built up, you turn into the spiritual house. You become the priest in your own place of worship and you offer sacrifices in your own place of worship because you are the sacrifice. And so what that takes away is this whole need for me to have to come somewhere and to offer. And I think that if I just bring my money to the church building, God's going to be satisfied with me. If I show up and I sit in a pew, God is going to be satisfied with me. <clears throat> if I bring sacrifices or if I give my time, God is satisfied with me. You've missed the point. God said you are the point is the fact that you are becoming a place of worship. One of the things that this pandemic has done is it has caused people to see where they placed this place in their value scheme of their Christianity and of their life. And some people started fading and falling away because they couldn't come to a place, not realizing that God was saying, you are the place. You are the one where worship happens. You are the temple. You are the altar. You are the sacrifice. And you are the priest bringing the sacrifice. And so he says to you and I, Boy, realize that the place of worship is not where you go. The place of worship is who you are 
and wherever you go is a place of worship because you are the temple. Scripture tells us we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Spirit of God. That's why he tells you not to defile it. That's why he tells you to keep it pure because you are the place where God dwells. And only are we to realize that we are the place of worship. We are the rest in knowing that we are chosen by God, although rejected by men. Just like Jesus, in verse 4, as you come to him, and that means for salvation, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look at what he says later on. He says, you are the same way. In verse 9, he says, listen, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We can spend days on just that text, but what he is telling you and I is, listen, in a world that rejects you, just like they rejected Christ, in a world that wants to marginalize you, just like they tried to marginalize Christ. In a world that doesn't want to embrace you, just like they did not embrace Christ. He says, you are chosen and precious because the one who made it happen, Christ himself, is chosen and precious. He says, you are being just like him when in this world you are rejected. But he says, how do you live well? He says, by resting in the knowledge that although rejected from people around you, you are chosen where it counts. And boy, if this doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. When he says, he says, in other words, he's, he says, the but is in reference to those that reject Christ and don't accept them. And they are stumbling over who he is because they won't embrace him. And so they have a problem with him. So they keep tripping over Jesus. And so they says here, but you who've embraced him, you are chosen. And I like he says a chosen race. This breed of person, human, he has created something new. What this takes me to that. Behold, if any man, and that means or woman, be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. This new race of person, of being, and a race where race, as we say it here in our world, comes under the banner of being one in Christ. And so he says, you are a chosen race. I chose you. You have come into being because I chose you. And then number two, he says, you are a royal priesthood. In other words, I don't need a select group of people. I don't need your pastor to come to you. Um, I mean, to come to me on behalf of you. I don't need sister so-and-so who's been saved for 25 plus years and know how to pray to come to me. Although they can, I, I, I don't need that to happen. He says, you yourself as a priest, as a royal priest, can come to me yourself on your own behalf and stand before me and I listen. 
In a world that rejects you, God says, I chose you and you can stand before me. They can't. And God says, don't forget it. Oh, let them marginalize you. You are in royal company. God says, you get to stand before me. You get to come to me and talk personally. Yeah, I know they've been kicked you to the curb. God says, let them do that. They keep tripping over Jesus and there's judgment for them. But for you, oh, there's full acceptance. And you come and you sit and you stand before God. Royal priesthood. If that's not enough, as a group, he says, you are a holy nation. Takes you the shades of the nation of Israel where they were chosen to represent and proclaim God. He says, you are that nation. You are that group now that represents me under my banner, under my kingdom, under my flag, God says. And so he says, because of that, you go out into this world of which you are residents, but you are not citizens. And he wants to remind you and I, don't worry about them rejecting you. He says, you are my own possession. I like this. You ain't your own. You don't do what you want. You are his possession for his glory, for his purposes. But understand the reason he did that so that you can proclaim to this world who he is and you can talk about how you were brought out of darkness into the light that is marvelous. And so how do I live in a world that marginalizes me as a believer? Boy, I reinforce the fellowship. I realize I am the place of worship or I am the temple of God where worship happens in three. I rest in knowing that I am chosen by God. And then lastly, I am also to remember to watch how I live in the world. And that's that last part. He says, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He reminds you, you're just passing through. You are residents, not citizens. He reminds him at the end of this text. He says, beloved, dear ones, fam. That's what he's saying, look. He says, listen, look, fam. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, and that is to push away from, to avoid, to back away from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He says, listen, here's where your fight is. Your first fight is within you. You think you're fighting everybody outside. The first place where the war is, is inside your head. The first place where the war is, is inside yourself. He says, listen, you are constantly putting to rest passions <clears throat> that want to creep up and that want to take control so that you are nothing but a ball of passions of the flesh living from one uh, passion to the next and you are never settled in who God is. You are up one day and down the next. You're angry one time and lustful the next and you are filled with malice over here and filled with envy over here, but you're trying to call yourself the follower of Christ, and he says all the while you're just being controlled by passions of your sinful nature, of your sinful capacity. That doesn't disappear when we come to Christ. 
It's just incapacitated. It's no longer in control. Romans reminds us when you and I came to Christ, he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. It didn't say it wouldn't be there. It just said it's not in the driver's seat unless you put it back. And so he says to you, listen, listen do not be controlled by your passions. But instead, what are you to do? He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, discipline yourself that when the world sees you, although they may talk about you, they know it's nothing but a lie. Although they've got words for you, although they throw shade on you, although they marginalize you, oh boy, under their breath and in their mind, they know good and well you aren't what they are saying. They know good and well that you are living differently and that you are living above where they have chosen to live. They know good and well that you are a person of integrity and a person of character and that, and that you strive to live for God as you proclaim his name. Look, they know the real deal. He says to you here, look, live in such a way so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And what he says to you is when God does visit, he says, look, they will, they will see how you live. That's your deeds. They will see what you do. They will see what you value. They will see how you carry yourself. And it will bring honor and glory to God, even if they don't verbally give it. See, the issue becomes how do we live in a world that marginalizes us, we reinforce the fellowship, dig in, lean in to one another. We realize that we are the place where worship happens because we are that temple of God and we bring that offering as a living sacrifice as we lay ourselves down. Third, we rest in knowing that we are chosen by God, although rejected by the world. And then lastly, we remember to watch how we live in front of this world that we live in such a way that we are filled with integrity because we represent God. God is saying represent well while you are out there. Make sure people know who I am, not by what you say, not even necessarily by how you dress. He says by how you live, by how you make decisions, by how you spend your money, by how you entertain yourself, um, uh, by, by how you dream, um, by how you live. And then the world will say, God is good. Even if they don't verbalize it through their mouth, they know it in their minds and their hearts. So my question for us today is, are we bemoaning the fact that we have lost status? That the world doesn't hold on to our values? That they seem to be casting them off and throwing them aside? Is that all we do is complain about how the world is getting worse and it's turning more and more evil. And we're talking about those evil people, those bad people, those crazy people. Or are we leaning in to one another? Are we resting? Are we realizing who we are? Are we resting in the fact that we were chosen? Are we remembering to live like God has changed and transformed us? Is that you? It can be. 
And even if you are doing a continue, allow God to continue to make it work in and for you. Allow God to continue to change and transform. This is not a one time only. This is a process. And if you tripped and fell today, God says, get up, scrape off that knee. You still mine. Let's get back in it. Let's keep growing. And when you reach the end, oh, I love that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Living well when you're marginalized can happen because you are living well under the one to whom you belong. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, that we indeed are people that have been bought by you if we know you if indeed we have tasted of who you are god we and we and we know who we are in you lord thank you that you have set us up that we can live regardless of whether we are embraced by the society or not father you have chosen us you have allowed us to be the temple in which you are worshiped and sacrifices that are pure are made because it is a living sacrifice where we lay ourselves down. Father, I thank you that indeed we, oh God, can rest in the fact that we are chosen by you and that, Father, you constantly remind us to watch how we live. I pray, God, that we take these things and not as checklists, but, Lord, as gauges to how are we allowing you, oh God, to transform our lives into what you want it to be, O oh Lord, and that we don't do things as the society at large, although we engage the society, Lord, we stand in it, although not of it. Help us, O oh God, to be people that love you and then love one another and then love our world because you've made it possible. Strengthen us, O oh God, in Christ's name, amen. This morning, as you heard this, this morning, as you heard this, you are wondering, hey, I, I would like to have that kind of life. Maybe you've never tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe you've never allowed yourself to be forgiven of your sins because you've not confessed and repented of them. Christ has made that possible through his death, through his burial and his resurrection, that you can not only be forgiven, but that you can actually live for him. And to be a part of that chosen race, that holy nation, that a people that he has brought for himself. If this morning you have never made that decision for Christ, you can. It is simple. Although it is a commencement, it begins a journey that you won't regret. And if that is you today, I'm just going to ask you, please don't leave without talking to one of us. Or if you're hearing us and you're not on our parking lot to be able to go to or to call here at Solid Word Bible Church or to go to our website at solidword.org and, and, and be able to connect with someone who will be able to lead you into the greatest relationship that you will ever have in your life. It will change your life. It will transform you. I'm telling you it will because I've experienced it myself. And this morning, if you have done that, but you've, you've been succumbing to the pressure from the world that they've been rejecting you, 
please remind yourself of what this text in 1 Peter says so that you can understand and remember what God wants you to know and thus how you can stand. And so this morning as you leave, be encouraged. Lean into the fellowship. Get to know the people that are believing like you, that hold those values in Christ like you, who want to love God like you. Walk with them. Don't be envious of them. Talk with them. Don't be hateful towards them. Live with them. Don't be envious of them. And God will strengthen you and God will bless you. Have a great week. We look forward to God continuing to bless us as we walk in him. And we look forward to you guys being here next week as we continue into chapter three um, in the word of God. Be blessed and have a great Sunday. Thank you all. It was so good to have you and to see you. Fellowship with one another before you leave and say hello.